this morning's scripture from John chapter 14. In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We are so glad that you are here today. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you are here. And uh, we are in our third week of a series called Hymnology. And what we're looking at is just powerful music um, from the Christian faith that not only um, you know sticks with us in our head, but teaches us. Music has this power. And it has this, it gives us superpowers is what it does. Because I could, I could give to you, a, and we say that, we've said this every week, I could give to you a random um, uh, 26 characters just out of the blue. And, and if I asked you to repeat those 26 characters back to me, not many of you, if any, would be able to do that. Maybe after you had some time to memorize it, but, but not right away, right? But if I just say A, B, See, yeah, you know it, right? And and those 26 characters now, because they're set to music, even a three-year-old can spit those back at us, right? Without even thinking about it. That's the power of music. And so uh, we've been exploring some of these great tunes of the Christian faith. And our story today um, I need, is the sweet by and by. And I need to take you back to biblical times. Uh, it's 1868, and there's a pharmacist named Sanford, and he is filling prescriptions in his drugstore in Elkhorn, Wisconsin. A friend named Joe wanders into the drugstore, and Joe was uh, somewhat of a musician and an amateur composer, and he also suffered from um, severe bouts of depression. And so on this day, he wanders into the drugstore, and he is particularly blue. And his friend, Sanford, the pharmacist, says, what's the matter now, Joe? And he said, it's no matter. It will be all right by and by. That, that was his response. And that's all it took. That line is all it took to spark a song in Sanford's mind. The, the two friends had collaborated on a lot of other musical numbers and he would write the words and then Joe would write the music and that's how they got. So Sanford went immediately to his desk in the drugstore. He started writing as fast as he could. The words came pretty instantly to him. Customers came into the store while he was writing. He ignored them. He made no effort to assist them. He was so focused. And then when he was done, he went to Joe and he handed him a sheet of paper uh, to this depressed person, and he said, Joe, here is your prescription. I hope it works. And the words on the page went like this. There's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar, for the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. And right there in that drugstore, Joe came up with a tune and he enlisted the two customers that were standing around to join he and Sanford in singing this uh, hymn as a quartet for the first time ever. And as it was being sung, there was another customer that came through the doors and he heard the singing. He listened to them until they were done. And then he said, you know, I've never heard that one before, but that one's immortal. And here is a hymn, a great hymn of the faith that took less than 30 minutes to write and put together, but will last into eternity. And it's about heaven. 
that's the prescription for us. And so the question to start with is this. How can a pharmacist from Wisconsin write about the afterlife with so much certainty? How can he talk about a land that is beyond what we can fathom, that places that are prepared for us, that there's a beautiful shore where God himself is waiting for us to, to welcome us to this incredible place that will feel more like home to us than we've ever felt. That the other verses that he wrote that day say that we'll sing when we get there and we'll sing some songs of the blessed and we'll also be able to experience that eternal rest that Joel, Joel was talking about earlier. Uh, say what you want about what Sanford wrote, but he was sure that a place called heaven was a reality. And he believed that that future reality should make a difference in our reality even today. And that was the prescription that he gave Joe for his troubles. And so let's talk about that future reality today, about heaven a little bit. And let's start our consideration um, about heaven by saying something really prov provocative. Here it is. You are not going to heaven. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, you are not going to heaven. Some of you did that with a little too much joy, I think. You've been, you've been waiting for that. Um, don't get testy about that, about that line. You're not going to go to heaven. Let's read. This is John who saw heaven with his own eyes. This is from Revelation chapter 21. He said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her, her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. We're not going to heaven. This new city that will be our home, the new Jerusalem, will instead come down out of heaven to the new earth, and it's there on the new earth that we will dwell with God for eternity. So in a very real way, we're not going to heaven. Heaven is coming to us. And what John sees and describes for us in Revelation 21 and 22 is a very physical city on a very physical earth. And that's really good news for us as we talk about heaven, because a lot of people come with this idea of heaven that it's a form of this ethereal, phantom-like, ghost-like existence. And what John makes us realize is that heaven is just as earthy as our current earth is, just as physical and we will be able to dwell in this renewed and restored and recreated earth in this city that will come down for us. On the last night that Jesus was with his disciples, he tells them that he's going from this earth to that place to prepare this new earth, this new city yeah, for them and by extension. I do. I have to he be says somewhere in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to us. In my Father's house are many rooms. If you're reading from the King James Version, it says mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, 
you may be also. And so the question is, Jesus is, you know, he's going to prepare this place. The question is, what will this very prepared place that Jesus is working on, he's been working on for 2,000 years, what will that be like? And the answer is, we don't fully know. We only get hints of what heaven will be like. And so standing in front of you today and talking about what a place that I've never been to will be like seems kind of like a fool's errand today. Talking about what heaven will be like is like trying to write a review of a five-star resort when all you've seen is the sign. And that's kind of where we are today. But what we have in Scripture is people writing to us who have been to heaven. They have seen heaven. The, the, the Apostle John himself is given a tour of this place that we called heaven, and he writes about it in these chapters in Revelation, and specifically in chapter 21 and 22. And if we get to go on uh, this walkthrough with John, we will learn a lot about heaven. In the year 2020, way back then, uh, we went through a book called Core 52, and Mark Moore, in his chapter on heaven in that book, points out some really incredible things about this passage. And it, he points out that uh, this passage talks about heaven in terms of what will be there and then what won't be there. And so let's frame it up that way. Let's talk about first what isn't there, what won't be in heaven. Here's the first thing John tells us. There's no more sea in heaven. No more ocean. If you travel to anywhere that is a foreign destination, odds are that there will be a sea or an ocean in your way that you will have to navigate. On this earth, seas are what separate people from other people. And so when John says there's no more sea, one of the things he's telling us is that in heaven there's nothing to keep people apart from other people. There's nothing to separate them. Nations won't separate us. Languages won't separate us. Class won't separate us. Economics won't. Cultures won't. Skin color won't. Once inside this city, there are no border walls to try to sneak across. And so without anything to separate us, heaven will be this massive place with incredible diversity, but without all of the division that sometimes accompanies diversity. Here's another thing. He says there's no more tears or death or crying or pain. I want you to think back this last week. What broke your heart this last week? Whatever it was, that, the source of that pain, will not exist in heaven. There are no funerals, no divorces, no murders, no theft, no gossips. No broken dreams, no pent-up anger, no haunting memories, no lifelong regrets, nothing that will bring tears or death or crying or pain will be Can you imagine a place like that? Here's what he says. There's no more church. I thought for sure somebody would say amen to that. No more church. There aren't any temples, so no more church. On this earth, we have to work really hard to connect with God. We, we need a church service every week so that we can remember Jesus, that he is Lord of our life. We need programs in the meantime. We need classes and Bible studies and conferences and camps and BBSs and CIYs to keep us connected. We need the church to keep us 
rooted in God, but there will be, um, but there, right? We will be in God's presence perpetually. We'll be connected to him 24-7. And what that means is that you don't need Community Christian Church anymore. I'm sure we'll have some reunions when we get there, but you won't need me, right? And that means you won't need priests or preachers or programs, and it means in heaven I'm kind of out of the job, and I need a plan. I need to put one together. There's no sun or moon in this new city, in this heaven. While he was on the earth, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And in heaven, God will literally be that light of the world. He himself will give us all the light that we will ever need. We won't need the sun or the moon. John says, in heaven, there's no curse. The curse is what happened to us when we chose to sin against God. We shook our fists and we rebelled at him. And Adam and Eve, if we go back to the beginning, they were kicked out of paradise that God had created them. And the curse was put on them, and it meant three things right away. One, that work will be hard. No longer will we approach the ground to grow flowers and carrots without the ground also producing thorns and thistles. It will be hard. Work will be hard. Number two, kids will be hard. Bringing a child into this world will involve a word called labor. And some of you who have experienced that know that that's the right word, right? Kids will be hard. Raising kids will be hard. And that also will involve labor. So work will be hard. Kids will be hard. And number three, the curse means marriage will be hard. The curse brought a constant battle that bubbles just beneath the surface in every male and female relationship. Now, if you're following Jesus... There shouldn't be much of a hint of this part of the curse in your relationship. Christian couples should learn to value each other, even though they have different roles to play. But in the world of this earth, we can also say this, that it's primarily women who get lower paying jobs. It's primarily women who get saddled with responsibilities that they have to then bear alone. It's primarily women who get left in the woods by their fiancés. It's usually Gabby and not Brian, right? But in heaven, that curse is reversed. There's no more, no more fighting. There's no more cruelty between male and female. There's none of the resultant suffering. There's no more exhaustion at a job just to be told it wasn't enough. You didn't do enough need to do more. We won't be earning a living by sweat or hustle, and God will put an end to the curse that makes this life so hard. Here's another thing John says won't be there. Nothing impure will be in heaven. In the new Jerusalem, nothing impure will be there. Think about that. What does that mean? You're going to be there, and so what does that mean? It means you will not be impure. You won't have any sin. Jesus' work to redeem you out of sin and out of death will be absolutely complete as we have this new physical transformation in heaven. And the, ultimate, the, the impulses of our new bodies will match the intentions of our saved souls. And for most of us, that's one that deserves some thought this week. I can really be without sin? Really? 
Is that even possible? I want you to consider things as you think about that this week, that you're going to be sinless in heaven. I want you to think about the things that make that possible, some of the things. Here's number one. Satan is out in heaven, right? Yeah, that's that's worthy of, woo right? Things that cause me to sin in this world are out in the next one, and Satan and his thugs don't get passes to get in at the gates. They cannot put ideas in my head if they're not there. They can't put opportunities in my path that would cause me to fall if they're not there. Now, can I sin on my own? Sure, I'm pretty good at that. But we can all agree this, that without these influences in our life, we would be a lot closer to perfection than we are, right? And Satan won't be there. Here's number two sensuality is out. Satan is out. Sensuality is out. We live in a world where sin is promoted seemingly at every turn. Uh, Sin is cast in front of us as the way to get the most out of life. If you really want to enjoy life, that's the normal message in our movies or in our music, in our malls. What if we lived in a world that really did promote the true things that do lead to life and to love and to joy and to peace rather than the sensual substitutes that only give it for a moment? for a flashing brief moment. Heaven will be that place. Satan is out. Sensuality is out. Seduction is out. We won't cease in heaven to be sexual people, but all the disasters that accompany sexuality in this world will be gone in the next one. Jesus himself says that there will be no marriage or giving in marriage in heaven. What does that mean? I have no idea. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. But I do know this, that our sexuality will be transformed. And whatever that ends up looking like, whatever that ends up being, it will not be the sin trap that it is right now for us. I love this line. And whenever you think about heaven and what? Will it be this way? Will will this be there? Will, Will we get to do this in heaven? Whenever you think about that, in comparison to this this earth. Here's the line that you need to remember. Heaven will never be less than this world. So if you love doing it in this world, if it has a place and, and it brings joy and love and peace into your life in this world, it will never be less than this in that world. It'll never be less. Here's the last one, striving is out. There won't be any competition in heaven. And I'm talking about true competition. Uh, I'm not talking about Friday night football. We're going to play football, okay? Uh, And all of us are going to have the bodies to be able to play football, and it's going to be awesome. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is true competition. This desire in each one of us to prove ourselves better than somebody else. Why do we do that here on the earth? It's because we need love, and we think that in order to get that love, I'm going to have to be better than than him or her, and so I try to prove myself over and over so that I can get that love that I so desire. In heaven, you will know more love than you have ever known, and that motive to be better than other people will disappear. won't exist. And so all of that to say is that sin is what makes our world broken and shattered 
And can you imagine the kind of world we would have if we weren't distracted by all of those things that make our world broken and shattered? How much further along would we be if we didn't have to worry about wars or disease or crime or motives or power grabs or oppressors? What if we really did live in a world where no young woman named Gabby would ever go missing? What if, what if we lived in a world where we never needed passwords? What if we lived in a world where dreams would never fall to pieces? That's what will make heaven the heaven that we all dream about. These, the eternal praise that we're going to sing, it'll mean that we sing songs. But it will also mean that we get to live life undistracted by all the things that make life hard to live here on this earth. Here's the last thing that won't be in heaven that John tells about. No time. No time. He says that we will reign forever and ever, and it means that we'll have all the time in the world. Our time will never run out there. I want you to think about all the chaos that time itself causes you in this life. Well, I'm pressed for time. I can't do that. Well, I'm running out of time, and so I need to be focused on this project, not this person. I'm running late, right? I don't have time for this now. Time is, is slipping through our fingers like sand, and it pressures us. It leads us to prioritize tasks instead of people. In part, this is why we desire great wealth, is it not? So that we can have our time back. So that we can do what we want, when we want to do it. But in heaven, all kinds of time. Time will never end. What's the rush? There's no reason to beat traffic. There's no reason to pick the short line at the grocery store. There's no reason to multitask to save time because we will have it without end. Now, that sounds like an awesome place to be already. The New Jerusalem will be without everything that holds us back in this life. In our pursuit of righteousness, we will not be hindered by anything and we can be absolutely sinless. I want you to think about that this week. Now, that, let's add to that list another list that, that John gives us. Uh, there are things that won't be there, but I have to tell you the truth. I usually don't go to too many places purely because of what won't be there. Most of the time when I go to a place, it's because of what will be there. And so that applies to heaven, too. Let's talk about what will be. In heaven, And again, just in these two chapters, at the end of the book of Revelation, we, we find out a lot. Number one, what is there? Heroes. Heroes. You know, all those great people that are in this book called the Bible that we study when we get together, uh, or we have a service or a class or a Bible study, people like Abraham and Moses and Ruth and Esther and David and Peter and Mary Magdalene, they're all going to be there. What, what would you ask if you could sit down and talk face-to-face -face with the Apostle Paul? Can you imagine? That will be great, right? But as great as that will be, to be where, there with those people, that's not why we want to go there. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, that's not why. That was weak. Let's do it again. That's not why. That's better. Number two, loved ones will be there. More important than any human biblical figure that you didn't know in this life are those people that you did know 
in this life. And our loved ones who have gone on to be with the Lord will be in heaven. Wives will be reunited with their husbands. Parents will be reunited with their kids. Friends will see each other again. Grandparents will be able to introduce themselves to grandchildren that they never knew. They, and their grandchildren only knew about them because they were named after them or they heard stories about them. And that will be great to see our loved ones. But as great as that will be, that's not why we want to go there. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's not why. That's not why. Three, unimaginable wealth. Uh, this is an interesting one. And it's not one that we talk about a lot other than the fact that the heaven, uh, heaven's streets are paved with gold, right? Uh, but heaven will have stunning treasure beside just the asphalt. John tells us that the city of God measures 1,400 miles in width and in length, and get this, in height. What does that tell you about the way we're going to live in heaven? And all of the foundation walls around the whole city are filled with precious jewels. The city itself is made of gold. It's made of gold that is so pure that it's like glass. The gates of the city, there are 12 of them, three on each side, are made of single pearls. And oh yeah, the streets are gold too, right? And what does all that treasure built into inanimate objects tell us? It tells us that we're going to live a luxurious life in heaven. There's a river that uh, flows from the throne of God through the city. It's called the river of life, and its origin is from God's very throne. It flows through the city, and on both sides of this river grows a tree of life. It's probably not just one tree, but a ton of trees that are called the tree of life. And John tells us that those trees are for the leaves, are for the healing of the nations. What does that mean? It means that we will live life in heaven without ever the prospect of death. And in that life, no one will lack for anything. There are no bills, there are no budgets, there are no mortgages. You'll have life and you'll have a place to have that life, a space for you, a mansion, if you will, and it's prepared for you by Jesus himself. And everyone will have everything they need and everyone will be a prince or a princess in heaven. That's amazing. We dream of that in this life, don't we? Having everything we want so we can do anything we want, anytime we want, we will have that in heaven. That will be amazing, and as great as that is, that's not why we want to go there. So say it again. That's not why. A new everything. New everything is what John tells us will be in heaven. He says, God says, I am making all things new. I want you to think about that one. And I want you to look around our beaten up, rotting, decaying earth and think about how all of the great things are available to us, even in this broken, shattered earth. There are mountains and there are seas and there are meadows and forests and they're awesome. And this is the old earth. What will it look like when Jesus makes it new? Trying to describe what new is in heaven is, is like 
trying to describe a masterpiece painting by just looking at the shadow that it casts on the ground. It's pretty impossible. And whatever new looks like in heaven, it will put this earth to shame. And this earth is still pretty great when you look around, right? Now, think about what new means for you. About the body that you will have. First Corinthians chapter 15 talks about our weak and aging and mortal bodies that after we die, when we get to heaven, that we will be raised as perfect immortal bodies. Our new bodies won't age, they won't get COVID, and your knees won't creak. Philippians chapter 3 verse 21 tells us that our bodies will be transformed just like Jesus's body was transformed after he was resurrected. And if you remember some of the things that he did after his resurrection, he, he, was, resu he was Jesus 2.0. He, he was Jesus, but he was different. He walked and talked and he ate with the disciples. He did some very normal things. He had them touch his wounds and they were still present. And so he was still flesh. They recognized him, but also they didn't recognize him. He was different. He was Jesus, but Jesus on another level, and he, he walked through walls with this new resurrected body. He defied gravity as he ascended into heaven. Most of us would call that flying, okay? And when he appeared to John himself, he glowed with the intensity of the sun. And what Philippians tells us is that we get that kind of new body too? Dusty 2.0? That's pretty amazing to think about. A, a perfected body in a restored Eden. My golf swing's going to be better than ever. It's going to be amazing. Right? New eyes. You won't need glasses. New hands. No arthritis. New skin. No more wrinkles. No more looking in the mirror and not recognizing the person staring back at you. Who is this? <laughs> right? A new body. And when you, when you think about that new body, here's the picture that I want to plant in your head. I want you to go back to the Friday night football game, and I want you to think about your grandma. And your grandma is not at the Friday night football game in the stands watching. I want you to think about what kind of physical body it would take for your grandma to be a wide receiver on the field and lay out for a pass in the corner of the end zone. What kind of body would it take for her to do that? That's the kind of body that we're going to have. We'll have energy in this body. Energy that is limitless. Energy to work and play and create and build and worship. And man, won't that be great, right? But as great as that sounds, that's not why we want to go there. Say, that's not why. Here's why we want to go to heaven. God himself. Here are the verses. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. One chapter later, also in verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. Here's the reason we want to go to heaven, because God himself will be there. 
He's the, he's the reason we get together every Sunday. He's the one we talk about and sing about and write about. He's our creator. He's our redeemer. He's our savior. He's our sustainer. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he is in heaven, and he will be there with us. But it gets better than that. Because we won't just be with him. Revelation chapter 7 uh, gives us this little word that means a ton. Uh, in this chapter, John is watching a great expanse of people, and an angel right beside him is kind of telling him what's going on. And he says, John, what you're watching are people who have come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes clean. They have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It means they're believers. They're followers of Jesus. And the angel says this, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. That's the word. Shelter them with his presence. The word is the same as if we were to say his dwelling place will be his presence. It's the same word that means to set up a tent except this will be one amazing tent. And so not only will we be with God in his presence, but literally in heaven, God's presence will be the tent that we live in. And so we won't just be with God, we will be immersed in him 24-7. In heaven, God's love and his light will infuse everything, everywhere, including you. I want you to think about going home. After you've been away for a while, you come home. What does it mean to say, hey, I'm home? It means this, that you're immersed in the presence of the people that you love. Coming home and saying, I'm home, it's not so much about the house or the table or the living room, but it's more about the people in those places. When you're around those people, when you're immersed in those people, you're home. And in heaven, we will be immersed always in God and his love. And we will dwell in him. And it means that heaven will be, in the truest sense of the word, home for us. Now, lots of people have thoughts about what they will do the moment they see God face to face. Some of us have thought about, man, I have a bunch of questions. I'm going to ask God, what about this? Why that? Or maybe it's, you know, I, I just can't wait to hang out with God. I'm going to watch football with God. It's going to be great. Here's my bet. That when we get to that spot and we meet God face to face, our words will be irrelevant. And he is so much greater and grander than we can describe, so much more glorious that we can imagine that our impulse will surely not to be to stage an inquisition or to grab chip, chips and salsa and turn on the TV. It'll be something else. Did you, did you see Jesus? Later, I did. That was the last thing that happened after going through the city and asking questions and going through at the very last moment, I had been ushered closer and closer toward the light, toward the light, toward the light. 
the light that's in the center, center of the city. Yeah, and then there was a stairway that was near the glass sea, which it looked like a sea, and a stairway that went up, and a large angel with the most uh, power, if we would say that. And it was clear that he was basically in charge of that stairway. And uh, I be just began to communicate uh, to this angel heart to heart. Again, it's hard to say, did we talk? It seemed like it, but then it seemed like we didn't. This communication was, was just impeccably pure. And I began to recognize I can't go up there. I can't go up. I can't go up and still go back. And I was thinking, go back. Go back? What, what, what do we mean? What's that mean? And as soon as I'm thinking, go back, the angel moved just to the side. But I looked into the eyes of the warmest, kindness, most wonderful. I knew this was the Son of God. I knew this was my Savior. And all of a sudden, my knees buckled, my legs lost their strength, and I just went down. I couldn't stand. I was, I was not worthy to. I was not worthy to stand in His presence. Funny that I didn't feel worthy to be in heaven. Yet I knew I was worthy in the early part. I was somehow given this, granted this authority, but I had this supernatural. Uh, gift that I was worthy. Somebody had done something for me. He had. Yes. And so I'm down on my, just falling down, and I see his feet, and I grab them, and I hold his feet, and I see the scars, and I know this is the Son of God. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. It is because of him. He died for everybody. It's so cool because the Bible even says, no, I just take that back. Jesus said that uh, I have come not to condemn the world, but that the world through me will be saved. And it was because of that. He was, he's not condemning anybody. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life what sins you've done, including murder. It doesn't matter what you've done. All of it is, is forgivable. God can forgive anybody of anything. And then we have this free gift that we call salvation. You and I know that. And that's what you felt and at his feet. Like. I just, but to describe this experience, I just stopped at his feet and, and I was worshiping him in down on the ground there and i heard the voice dale do you love me that's it do you love me and i'm trying to think of all these words to say and i'm getting ready to say in a sense i'm getting ready to say but i've said nothing and I'm getting ready to say, of course I love you, Lord. I remember who you are, what you do. I'm getting ready to say that. And he bends down and whispers into my ear. And I'm now back. Everybody say, that's why. That's why. That's why we want to go. 
fall at his feet, awestruck, overwhelmed by the majesty of the moment because of what Jesus has done for us. Three times at the end of the book in Revelation, in this chapter where John gets the grand tour of heaven, Jesus speaks, and it's always the same thing. He says this three times. And behold, I am coming soon. That's in verse 7. Read it with me. And behold, I am coming soon. That's in verse 12. Read it one more time. He says, surely I am coming soon. That's verse 20. What's he telling us? He's coming. And his invitation is to come to him before he comes to us. Verse 17 says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. God loves you. And more than that, he really, really likes you. And he invites you to himself. And he's waiting for you to say, Yes. So he can say, well done, faith, good and faithful servant. Now, what, what can we possibly say when Jesus says, come? We don't have to come up with any words on our own. Jesus gives us the words in that same verse in chapter 22, verse 20. He says, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. And here's the script. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Say it with me. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's the script. Jesus, come into my life. I want to make you Lord because you alone can save. You alone can forgive sin. You alone can give me life. Maybe you need to say that today for the very first time. Come, Lord Jesus. Come into my life as Savior and Lord. And if so, we are ready. We're ready to receive you in faith in repentance, in the waters of baptism so that you get to drink from the free gift of the water of life. That's what Revelation talks about. Verse 14 says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and so that they may be able to enter the city by the gates. In baptism, you're forgiven given of sin. Sin is washed clean and you become white as snow with robes that are washed. Is that to you today? Here's the truth about heaven. Heaven is better than we can imagine, but it's also sooner than we think. So don't wait if you need to say, come, Lord Jesus. For many of us, we've already said that, right? And if you've been following Jesus for a while, then today, heaven is your prescription. That word was exactly right that Sanford said when he gave those words of this hymn to his friend Joe. He said, this is your prescription. I hope it works. Here's the truth. It does work. When we think about heaven, when we imagine how it's going to be, it gives us a certain power to get through the day today. C.S. Lewis said it this way, aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. So if you've been following Jesus for a while, heaven is your prescription. I challenge you to, to think about heaven this week. 
Imagine what it will be like and see if it doesn't give you strength for the day. See if it doesn't change you a little bit this week. Father, we thank you that in John's heaven, uh, in these chapters that we've been looking at, Jesus is called the Lamb. Even here in the middle of a tour of heaven, it's the gospel that gives us life. It's Jesus that is our substitute lamb who let his blood flow for us. It's that truth that allows death to pass over us so that we get life forever. And then on top of that, not only do we get life forever, but we get this indescribable city of God in which to live. And today we worship you, the God of heaven. We worship you in thanks. We worship you in expectation. And together we say, come, Lord Jesus. Say that with me. Come, Lord Jesus. Say it again. Come, Lord Jesus. One more time. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.